Hi, this is Noel Paul Stuckey of Peter, Paul, and Mary, and you're listening to Follow Your Dream Podcast with Robert Miller. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, Robert, this little light of mine, Robert, you know I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, Robert, look for you, let it shine on Robert, shine. Let it shine. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 199 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. You just got a mini concert from my guest today, Peter Yarrow of the iconic trio Peter, Paul, and Mary, the folk-based group that had an incredible string of hits in the 1960s and beyond. I was very fortunate to have Peter's partner, Noel Paul Stuckey, Paul of Peter, Paul, and Mary, on the podcast just a short while ago, and we covered much of their success. But now having Peter on the show gives us the opportunity to relive this wonderful group from a second perspective, which is pretty rare. Peter's singing, guitar playing, songwriting, and persona were essential to the group's success. He's the co-author of Puff the Magic Dragon, one of the best-loved songs of the modern era. He's also a political activist in his music and his life, and we're going to discuss all of this. And you know that in the middle of this episode, as I do with all my musician guests, Peter and I are going to do what I call a song fest. We're going to play a whole bunch of little bits of his great songs. We're going to talk about them. You're going to get the backstories. And nobody does this on podcast other than here. And you also know that in every episode, I feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end. And I always try to make the song relevant somehow to my guest or the subject matter. In this instance, it was easy. My featured song that you're hearing now is called To the Zoo which I wrote for the album Miller Rocks that I recorded remotely and released during the pandemic. Why did I choose it? Well, it's a fantasy song about a trip to the zoo. Just as Puff the Magic Dragon is a fantasy song about a magic dragon. So Peter Yarrow, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. How are you, my brother? Great pleasure. I'll tell you, I feel like I know you well already. We've been corresponding for a while. And then you just had this fabulous concert that you did with your partner, Noel Paul Stuckey. And it's so special because you guys haven't played together that often recently. And I want to hear what it was like for you to be back in the saddle again with Noel and playing all those great songs. Actually... We had not performed since before COVID. There was, I mean, we would talk on the phone and we would, you know, Zoom a little. 
But the fact that we had not done so meant that it was two years before we performed. And when the audience received us, they just, it was as if they were starved for this kind of feeling. Joyous and wonderful. And I I said at the end of of the concert, right before we sang, this land is your land, which we always end with at this point. He said, you know what this is for me? This is a testament to the fact that our ideals, our hopes, our dreams, and the things that we've worked towards are still here, alive and well. You are that testament. We are, and Mary's spirit, because it was in actually the day, this was accidental, it was the day that she passed, it was the anniversary of that. And so the people were in tears and we were singing, leaving on a jet plane and we were singing. I, I'm telling you, it was, it was as if COVID was over for a moment, you know? It must have been a lovely feeling. And the fact that your songs and the group has, you know, evolved, but also stood the test of time is really the remarkable thing because those songs are as great now as they were back then. Yeah, the relevance, for instance, when we sang Blowing in the Wind, Mary used to say, and I quoted her, I mean, it was right there, and her uh, former husband was there, said, Mary used to say before this song, as long as you can ask questions and expect to have reasonable answers, of your government, you can have a democracy. But when you're no longer allowed to ask those questions, it is gone. And then we sang. How many roads must a man walk down before they call him a man? And oh my goodness, when when they sang, the answer, my friend, and they all sang. Everyone I mean, sang you, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> you know those songs. I like to think of them. I call them message songs. And so few artists these days write any kind of message songs. And the the answers I keep getting when I ask that question, why not? They say, well, we don't want to alienate the audience because you know. Our world is so bifurcated at this point that nobody wants to get anybody ticked off. But really, the whole point of those songs that you guys sang so well and others sang so well was to express a point of view. And so much of it was uplifting. It wasn't all negative. And the things that were negative, you know, you were anti-war. Well, everybody should be anti-war, right? Yeah, but in every song that we had of that sort, it, it, echoing what your sentiment is, there was this suggestion, if not the specification, of what the alternative was. So I didn't think of them as protest songs. These were affirmations. It's like people said, oh, you know, you people who marched in, in the anti-war movement or in, this, in the uh, uh, civil rights movement, you're unpatriotic. No. These were expressions of our aspirations for our country. So it says, 
I mean, what is controversial of saying? It's the hammer of justice, bell of freedom, song about a love between my brothers. Love? Why? That's un-American. No, it's not un-American and it's not anti-American. And that's why we had a lot of people who didn't agree with us politically who came to the concerts and felt that it was an affirmative experience. Well, you were an uplifting group. And, you know, the Beatles also, so many of their songs had love as the basis for the song. And I remember reading something about McCartney saying, you know, we, we set out intentionally to write those songs. It was all about peace and love back then. And so many artists fell into that, you know, category. And if, to me, it was all uplifting. It was, it was life-affirming music. I, I feel that's the case. And I feel, actually, Robert, if we could have that music as prominently in our society as we did then, this a, a division would be countered by a very powerful force because these songs don't say, I don't accept you. These songs don't say, you're different from me, I don't like you. Doesn't mean I'm frightened of you. It means we can be together. We can talk about these things. We have much more in common than we have that brings us apart. And when you can feel that, and there is an organization that I've been working with ever since it began called Braver Angels. And they bring together people of polar opposites and they, they don't seek to change anybody's opinion. What they do is they seek to humanize each other. And that's what happens. And it is done brilliantly. And uh, if you want to look it up, it's uh, braverangels.com. Believe me, you'll see in your heart that this is, it's, it's not necessary. This, but what's politically different, for instance, you look at uh, some of the extraordinary people who have stood up for, for, not for their party, but for a principle in office, and you, you realize it's not so much about politics, it's about integrity. Do you stick up? Do you have the guts to stick up for democracy when democracy is th threatened? Is that something that we can agree upon? I think so. You know, somewhere along the line, politicians got in their heads that their major goal was to get reelected, not to do the right thing by their constituency and by the public. And I say all the time, life is not that difficult when you have choices. There's always a choice or almost always a choice that's the right choice, okay? And if you just keep your North Star focused on making the right choice, you won't go wrong. Why is it that so few people do that, particularly in politics? Well, th there are two things that will make us abandon our inner core of ethical perspective. One, money. You know, 
has to be a certain amount of money, but there are people, most people, you know, have that, okay, you know, an offer I can't refuse, I will abandon my principles. Power is even more addictive. It is even more a call to abandon one's principles. And that's why it's not illogical or inappropriate for people to say, I don't trust the people who have the power. And the saying is power corrupts and absolute power. Power corrupts, corrupts absolutely. So that's what democracy was designed and uh, what it's intended to, to, to do to build guardrails against that happening. But these, those guardrails have been taken down in many cases. It's true. Well, the other thing about the music back then and your music in particular is that these were wonderful melodies. Not only the words were wonderful, the melodies were wonderful. People could sing them easily. And I'm sure that at your concerts now and then, people are singing along to everything because they just know these, like they they know everything in their life that took place back then. And you had a wonderful ability to pick out just marvelous songs. And I'm wondering, you know, I asked Noel that question, how did you choose the songs? And he said that some of them were chosen by your manager, some of them were chosen by others, but you also had a three-way arrangement, he said, in the group where you all had to agree on a particular song. Do you agree with what he said there? Not only did we have to agree on a particular song, there was nothing said on stage, nothing shared on stage, no publicity put out that was in any way upsetting or offensive to any of the things. And all of us on every issue could say no. We all had to say yes. And that was the, the, the sieve. And actually, most of the songs that we did, besides the ones that Noel and I wrote, Mary wrote poetry, but she did not write songs. Besides, that, like Noel's wedding song, and you know, um, and I had written Weave Me the Sunshine and uh, Light One Candle, etc. Puff. I mean, I dig rock and roll music. Most of them were brought in as suggested tunes by us, the three of us. But Albert Grossman, when he brought in a song, it was always extraordinary. For instance, the song, Stewball Was a Racehorse. Oh, Stewball was a racehorse And I wish he were mine He never drank water He always drank wine So amazing and you know he was a genius and i miss him terribly these days because his fierce honesty and directness is so much what we need honesty and directness now my understanding is that albert was your manager and he was the one that encouraged you to in essence form the band am i correct that's right but he helped me you know because I saw Noel 
Noel is no Paul Stuckey, and he was at the Gaslight, running the the the, the show. It was a coffee house, and he was primarily known as a comedian. He told me he was the tumbler. <laughs> That's right. There were three comedians in Greenwich Village at the time that were superb. One was Woody Allen, the other one was Bill Cosby, and the other was Noel Stuckey. Really? And then, but he also sang, and I saw him and I said to Albert, I think he's, I think he's terrific. He said, do you want me to talk to him? I said, absolutely. So he came back and he said, well, he says he doesn't want to do it, but I think he'll do it. And Albert always uh, had that instinct. And then I was in Izzy Young's Folklore Center where they had the pictures of all the village folk singers up on the wall. And I looked at Mary's. She did not have bangs. Her hair was part. She looked like a, quote, village chick. Forgive the, uh, uh, the anachronistic expression. But she was dramatic and and very, to me, very beautiful. And I said, who is that? And Albert said, oh, that's Mary Travers. She'd be great if you could get her to work. And I didn't know exactly what he meant, but the truth of the matter was when Mary entered the group, she was by her own admission, kind of a, oh, well, I've got to have a project. But, you know, she was actually brilliant, but a high school dropout. She was read a book just about every day, and she turned out to be one of the most savvy, wisest, and ethical, and ethically committed people I ever knew in my life. And you know, I it's it was a privilege to be with her and work with her. You know, I, I mentioned in my interview with Noel that. I was going back doing my research and I was looking at some of the YouTube videos and I came upon a YouTube video that was shot by the BBC around 1963 of the three of you singing Blowing in the Wind. It was obviously live on the BBC. In addition to the music, which was marvelous, the visual was so gorgeous, so striking, that beautiful blonde in between the two of you leaning in with your guitars. I mean, it was just a spectacular visual image as well. That's what Albert used to say. He said, the first time people come and see Peter, Paul and Mary, all they do is watch Mary. There's no music, there's no Peter, there's no Paul. It's just, oh, I just thought I had to sing this for you. Puff the magic dragon, lift by the sea. Frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Connolly. Little Robbie Miller, he loved that rascal puff. But he wanted to get on with the interview, so he said, Peter, that's quite enough. Well done, well done. Well, you're right. I was going to go into that second part of our interview, and I was going to start with Puff, but we don't need to do that anymore because you just played it. That was wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller. My new single, All of the Time, is a playful, whimsical love song. It's light and airy and exudes the happiness and joy of being in love. The reviewers love it, too. 
Melody Maker has given it five stars and calls it pure bliss, an intimate sound with abundant melodic riches. Pop Icon also gave it five stars and called it ecstasy. You can stream all of the time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or any of the other streaming platforms. The links are in the show notes to this episode, and you can download it from the pgsstore.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a nice review too, if you're so inclined. You can do all of that and check out all of our episodes by visiting our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. So I want to go to your first, I guess your first hit record. And it was probably an accident because you guys didn't see it as a hit record at the time, I'm sure. It was on that original Peter, Paul and Mary album. And I'm talking about Lemon Tree. When I was just a lad of 10, my father said to me, come here and take a lesson from the lovely Lemon Tree. Don't put your faith in love, my boy, my father said to me. I fear you'll find that love is like the lovely lemon tree. And Lemon Tree all of a sudden got some meaningful action behind it, and it became a hit, didn't it? It did. And we were out in San Francisco at the Hungry Eye, which was one of the extraordinary you know, folk uh, coffee houses. And uh, we were third on the bill when we got there, with Lenny Bruce being at the top of the bill. I mean, I kid you not. And it was very, very exciting. But Warner Brothers had a, a, a promotion man. They didn't have promotion gals. They just had, at the time, you know, it's amazing. And uh, because women were so marginalized in language and every other place. If you were a woman and you were doing promotion, you were a promotion man. So, <laughs> so in any event, uh, Don Graham, I just sang uh, a Zoom call, a memorial for him. Don Graham was the promotion man there. And he was charismatic as all get out. And he introduced us to uh, Big Daddy Tom Donahue, who was the originator of underground radio. And he started playing this like crazy and Al Greer and other people. And I remember sitting there in a little Volkswagen, which is what we had rented to get around. And we were there for six weeks. By the time we left, we were at the top of the bill. And I heard Lemon Tree coming across the speaker. And so did Mary and Noel Paul. And we were just flabbergasted. That moment is so powerful in my mind. We are being played on the radio. You know, it was amazing. And it was great as the first song. And the one that followed it was If I Had a Hammer. And that established the beginning of the preeminence of songs of content of that sort on the net.
Well, let's listen to a little bit of If I Had a Hammer Now. Mary did the lead in that one, if I remember. Oh, yeah. If I had a hammer, I'd a hammer in the morning, I'd a hammer in the evening, over this land, I'd a hammer out of danger, I'd a hammer out of warning, I'd a hammer out of love between my brothers and my sisters, over this land. Now, what's your recollection? What's your feeling about that song so many years later now? Well, what comes to mind is when we sang it at the March on Washington in 1963. We sang that and Blowing in the Wind prior to Martin Luther King's iconic I Have a Dream speech. And during that I Have a Dream speech, Mary took my hand and she said, Peter, we're watching history being made. And when we sang that song, If I Had a Hammer, it's the hammer of justice and the bell of freedom. It had been a big hit and everybody knew it and they were singing with us and clapping and there were a quarter of a million people there. And when we sang Blowing in the Wind, when we came to the line, How many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? I mean, it, there are no words to express how it felt. Dramatic. That this song that Bob Dylan had written, and it reached its zenith on the charts the week before, at number two, to be able to say that and sing that to that audience and confirm the unanimity of our spirit. And they knew it because it was at the top of the charts. And they took hands, held hands, and they swayed and they sang along on the chorus. And that's what comes to mind when you talk about If I Had a Hammer. Must have been an amazing situation, an amazing feeling. So I'm just curious, how well did you know Bob Dylan back then? Very well. As a matter of fact, he was at my place. That's when I invited him for the first time he came to Woodstock with Susie Rotolo in July of 1963, which was a month before the August 28th March on Washington. And he, it was a tiny little cabin that belonged to my mother. And Susie, who was a painter, and I was, went to the high school of music and art, and I was a painter, you know, we'd go to Art Students League and Bob, We'd be a stick in the mud and he'd stay home and we'd come home, look what we painted. And he'd say, well, here's what I wrote. And it was Masters of War, only a pawn in the grain, um, um, hard rain's gonna fall. And it's amazing because that was such a rich period of this kind of mysterious genius coming out of him that made him prophetic. Uh, the, the, those songs actually, interestingly enough, were never hits, but they're the most important songs to me he ever wrote. Well, they may not have been commercial hits in that sense, but back then they were part and parcel of his albums and everybody back then, myself and all the other teenagers, etc., we all knew these songs and they were profound. 
Well, yes, but you will. The, the interesting thing is that they reached the public in the way that the only hit that has reached the American public in the past 20 years that has really been that kind of an iconic song never was, a, never was released as a single. And that is Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. And that's the only one that's penetrated. But Bob Dylan's songs that were never released became the iconic songs. And Patti Smith sang How Our Rain's Gonna Fall when she was there for him when he received the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, Nobel Poetry Prize. Poetry Prize, yes. Well, it was a remarkable era in so many respects. And Dylan, of course, was right at the forefront of this. But I, again, I want to compliment the three of you. You picked such marvelous tunes, okay? I mean, you can be up there and you can you can pick the wrong songs and you can be a one-hit wonder. And you guys were the polar opposite of that. You had so many hits in a row. You were a folk-based group. You shouldn't have had these hits, not in a commercial sense. And yet you did. Okay. And uh, the combination of your manager and everybody else and the three of you deciding on which ones. And then, of course, the arrangements and the actual uh, cutting of the records. What a, what a remarkable situation it was. It was. And, you know, I look at it now and I say, how could this have happened? The chances against this happening are overwhelming. But it was something that... We didn't even evaluate. We were too excited. We were too in love with each other, with the music, with what was happening in the world, and particularly in the United States, that we just never said, oh, this is success, or this, these are records. We were just living it, moment by moment. And they, they, we were ultimately together almost 50 years when Mary passed, just three months shy of it. We had a seven year hiatus to, uh, after the first decade because we were exhausted. Oh, is that why? We did six concerts a, year, a week for the first 10 months that we were out. We were in love with it, but at a certain point, it kind of took over our lives and preempted uh, our individual you know, lives, our children, our, you know what I mean, all that. And then we had seven years to reconstitute that, and we came back better than ever. And I wrote a song called Like the First Time. Like the first time, only better, wear a song that must be sung together. Like the first time, only this time, it could be forever. And I wrote it together. The music was written by Larry Weiss, who wrote Rhinestone Cowboy, who's a great friend. So you can't make this stuff up. You never and know. To, and to share it with you now, you know, you have to say, What is the memory that's valued so highly that we keep it alive in that flame? What's the commitment to those who've died when we cry out they've not died in vain? We have come this far always believing justice will somehow prevail. This is the burden, this is the promise, this is why we will not fail. 
shine through our love and our tears and you, Robert. One of the people that's keeping the light lit. And I thank you for that. I'm trying to. And it's wonderful to have this concert going on in the middle of the interview as well. Um, I wish you all could see Peter. He's got his headphones on. He's got his guitar in his hands. And he's got a smile on his face and a, and a light in his heart. And that's what you want from this kind of music. I want to go to the next song on our list, which is This Land is Your Land, which was a spectacular song for you guys. I think Mary sang the lead on this one as well. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Tell us your recollections on this one. Well, uh, this was written by Woody Guthrie. And interestingly enough, it is for many people as much a national anthem as the Star Spangled Banner. Because in a contemporary way, it says we love America, but we do it in a way that feels like ordinary human beings. Not poetic, stratospheric, oh, say, can you see, by the dawn's early light. What light? It was another era. This was our era. This is our land, it says. Nobody living can ever stop me as I go walking down freedom's highway. Nobody living can make me turn back, turn back, turn back. Cause this land is made for you and me. Oh, this land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream, water, 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 this land is still made, still made for all of us, all of us. That's the message of this land. You bet. That's you bet. Hits the nail on the head. Wonderful. All right, this has been quite an experience. I want to do one thing that was your song from after the group. You wrote a song called Weave Me the Sunshine. Tell us about that and maybe sing a little bit of that one too. Yeah, Weave Me the Sunshine. Uh, we opened the concert, uh, the first concert we'd done since before COVID, Noel Paul Stuckey and I. And it's apropos of this time. It says, let us take the pain and sorrow and turn it into sunlight, turn it into love, turn it into togetherness, turn it into empathy, turn it into compassion. And when we sing it, it's not just hypothetical. It's sung for the people in Ukraine, the people all over the world that are living under the heel of tyrants. And it's sung for our own country that is struggling to find its way so that we can love each other once again. 
And it, its opening verse is very apropos. It says, they say that the tree of loving, shined on me again, grows on the bank of the river of suffering. That from out of suffering can come loving. If we take it into our hearts and we say, because of the, if, for instance, I am Jewish, and we say, when we are Jews, we were once slaves in bondage. We will take that and say to the world and to ourselves, where there is slavery, there go I. And that's exactly what this song does as well. It says, we will all together find a way to turn the sorrow into joy and sunlight. If only I could heal your sorrow, shine on me again. I'd help you to find your new tomorrow. We're going to shine on me again. sunshine out of the falling rain with me the hope of a new tomorrow fill my cup again weave 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 me the sunshine robert out of the falling rain with me the hope of a new tomorrow and fill my cup again we have been listening to and talking with the great Peter Yarrow. Peter, it's been a profound and moving experience and an enlightening experience to have you on this podcast. I want to thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you. It's my delight and pleasure. And when you listen to Noel Paul's amazing interview, you're going to say, this was pretty much miraculous that they got together. And if you could do Mary then you'd have to go and make, pay homage in a whole other way. Well, unfortunately, she's not around. But I do want to suggest to you, you know, there's another name here you could adopt. How about Peter, Paul, and Miller? Oh, my goodness, that's it. Peter, Paul, and Miller. There's a ring to that. There is a ring to it. Yes. I want to thank you again so much for being on the podcast. We're going to listen now to that song of mine that started off the uh, episode it's my song called To the Zoo, and I want to thank you all for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com, and you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at the pgsstore.com. Penguins are having a party at how All the animals singing to spiky tigers and apples all together and into an owl. Sea lions acting so crazy Peacocks, they look amazing
crazy. 